Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. We could stay awake just to watch these movies. Watch him smile while she's sleeping. Even if it's kind of creepy, we could spend our nights and have the ever after. And we'll cry and you can clean me forever. Cause every wrong come we can too, just gets better and better. For tuning into Romancing the Podcast, you had us at hello. I'm Paige Wesley. I'm Mikey Randolph. And I'm Todd Schlosser. And this week we watched 27 Dresses. Now, Paige, this was your pick. Why did you pick this one? I hate this movie so much. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it with every fiber of my being. Give us a very high level of why you hated it. If you can give us a short hate synopsis. So the first time I saw this movie was, I believe, in college when I was living in the sorority house and people were watching it like in the house. And I just remember that it was like the most popular movie for like a solid year and a half. Really? And I kept walking in on portions of it. And every time I would walk in and like stop and watch a bit of it, I was just like, this movie is a dumpster fire. <laughs> what is going on? Everything about this movie offends me and and my modern feminist sensibilities. And I hate it. And then it wasn't until a few years later that I caught the entire thing on TV. And I was like, how is this even worse than I imagined it to be? There's no way that the things that they're cutting out for TV would make this movie better. And then I swore it off forever. And people try and defend this movie all the time where I'll be like, yeah, I don't really like romantic comedies typically. And they're like, what about 27 dresses? And I'm like, especially 27 dresses. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many people have tried to be like, but have you tried 27 dresses? It's kind of like really? when I say, I don't really like Brussels sprouts. And they're like, have you tried it with bacon? And I'm just like, yes, it still tastes like farts. What do you want from me? <laughs> so Mikey, have you seen this movie before? I like Paige. I've seen scenes of it, but I had not like sat down and watched the whole thing. So first impressions, what did you think first time you saw it? 
Uh, this is definitely the worst movie we've reviewed. <laughs> oh, wow. You, you think it's worse than like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Oh, yeah. I think it's not as funny. I don't think it's as funny. Yeah, I, agree. I don't think there's any emotional like connection to the characters. You think it's worse than the lucky one? I, the lucky one yeah. was at least fun to watch. Yeah. Okay. The lucky one, I think, is a worse movie, but that makes it more fun to watch. I feel like this one walks that line between good watchable and so bad it's watchable that it's almost unwatchable. That is where I fall for this movie okay. with this movie, where if it was slightly worse, it would be so funny because it was so bad Yeah, that it would be watchable like so bad it's good. Yes. Yeah, like I would totally watch The Lucky One again if somebody wanted to watch it. Mikey, I would go to a screening of The Lucky One with you in a meetup group. Any and day. 100% do a Q&A afterwards. Every that day That sounds of the week. awesome. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> I would love that. So yeah, Paige, this actually does walk that line for me too of it's not good enough to be watchable and it's not bad enough to also be watchable. Yes, So agreed. I did not love this movie, but there are two people in this movie that I love personally, and that's James Marsden and Judy Greer. Judy Greer is the only good thing in this movie. <laughs> right. And I'll, I'll admit James Marsden is not a good guy in this movie. No, he's not a good he's guy. horrible. But I, I've met James Marsden. He's a great, great guy. Judy <gasps> Greer's awesome. So, like, I just love them as people. So I found this movie watchable because I love some of the people in it, but not because of this movie at all. Although I will say Judy Greer is the character we should be following in this movie, not Katherine Heigl's character. Uh, Judy Greer is my internal monologue watching this film. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the only character that is well written. Yes. Because she gives good advice. She feels like a real rounded best friend character. I liked her a lot. I liked her a lot as well. Was she a best friend or was she a work friend? That's Ooh. that's the tricky thing. I don't think Katherine Heigl has best friends because I think she is suffering from some serious mental illness. Uh, and Same. it makes it difficult for her to foster real relationships with people. And that's going to be an issue later in the movie. So I have a pitch. At the end of this episode, when we talk about if they're still together, it needs to be about James Marsden and Katherine Heigl, but also if Judy and Katherine Heigl are still friends. Ooh, that's a good one. Because she quits at the end of this movie, so that would be the ultimate test of are they work friends or friends? Friend friends. So let's just get into this fucking movie. Let's talk about it, because there's it goes places quick. Whew. We open on a wedding in 1986. And we have the <laughs> craziest voiceover we've ever had on this show. That's after the lucky one. That's after That's the lucky one. That's saying something, yeah. The voiceover in this movie says, Mozart found his calling at age five, composing his first minuet. Picasso discovered his talent for painting when he was nine. Tiger Woods swung his first club well before his second birthday. And me, I was eight when I found my purpose in life which we reveal is to be a bridesmaid? I thought due to the voiceover that her job would be wedding planner? Same! So the better ending to this movie is that that's her new job. Yes, I love that. We'll get to the ending later where we get next to no information about anything that happens, but I think that is a better... And well, and to be honest, that's the movie The Wedding Planner. <laughs> that movie already exists. Let's with, do that with, movie. With Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> And we might end up doing it next week, Mikey. Wanky, what? He's Seriously? He's teasing about his pick next week uh, that is going to drive us crazy, Paige. I don't know. I don't know. You're going to find out soon enough. Oh, boy. Anyway, we find out via voiceover that this is their cousin Lisa's wedding. It's after their mom died and their dad wasn't doing great. And her yeah. little sister needs her to take her to the girl's room. 
where the bride, their cousin Lisa, rushes in with a stained dress. Oh, I thought it was ripped. It might be ripped. They We, we don't get a good look at it. Either way, the dress is, is ruined and they use essentially part of her younger sister's dress, I believe it is, to it's fix the ribbon her in her dress. hair, guys. No, yeah. it's the bottom portion of her dress underneath the bustle of her dress. So they take, they have like layers to their dresses and they weave part of her dress onto the back of the okay. dress. The only joke in this movie that I feel like is intentional and successful is when the bride runs in and just says, shit, shit, shit. And they said, it's okay, we have cable. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, they tried. Yeah, okay. The best joke in the movie comes three minutes into it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we cut to present day where we see Katherine Heigl trying on a dress and she looks great in it. Yeah, it's a wedding dress. It's a wedding dress. And she answers the phone to reveal that she is at another bride's fitting trying her dress on for her, which is insane that's gotta be like bad luck right you would never ever do that if you don't do that because even if you're the same size wedding dress sizing is so crazy and they cut and alter the dress to your specific measurements so like if i'm a six and you're a six and we've got different cup sizes or band sizes or hip measurements we may be the same size with completely different measurements Never, ever, ever have someone else do your fitting. That's insanity. I <laughs> now, she takes the dress and she's rushing through New York. Clearly, it's the day of the wedding, which is another crazy yeah. thing to have your fitting the day of the wedding. Bad news. She meets up with Judy Greer, whose hair is a hot mess. It's all over the place. I love Judy Greer so much in everything she does. And her hair isn't like a messy bun. And she's like, what? She said up, which is perfect. <laughs> like, yeah. Great. She's also got a bag of makeup for her. So like she came prepared not only for herself, but to literally do the entire bridal party. She's an Enneagram too, but not in a healthy way. Yeah. They're also wearing confounding bridesmaids dresses but it's fine Paige, because you can shorten it and wear it again see this is i don't know if you guys have been in any weddings uh <laughs> i mean i've been to weddings i've never worn a dress yeah to one, I've, I've rented a lot of tuxes and a Same. lot of suits well here's the thing with bridesmaids dresses because they usually have to be altered you almost never rent them you almost always have to buy them and then you're just stuck right. with a dress that fit a theme and so the bride always justifies it with like don't worry you could totally wear them again or you could totally shorten it and wear them again and I would say now the fashion for most people is to either have people just have a color and they buy their own dress in that color so that it is something they'll wear again or just to have everyone in the same dress but it's just a solid color and kind of a plain dress that's a little more manageable but these dresses if you're buying an actual like bridesmaids dress they can be hundreds of dollars for something you're never going to wear again yeah it's ridiculous to ask your friends to do that this is why i didn't have bridesmaids this is one of many reasons so she gets to the wedding they get into it they're getting the bride ready and the wedding happens and she's clearly like watching her time during this wedding and yeah. Then she leaves as soon as the wedding's over, hops in a cab with another dress bag, and she's changing in the cab. She offers to pay him, I think it's $300 for the whole night. It is $300, but every time he looks back in the rearview mirror, he, right. he loses 20 bucks. And Mikey, I have a question for you. Yeah? 
If you had this same situation where you had to pay her $20 every time you looked in the rearview mirror, by the end of the night, how much money would you end up owing Catherine Heigl? <laughs> so I thought about this. <laughs> she does not put a time limit on she the She does glances. not. Micah, you've got to drive. You've got to pay attention <laughs> to the road. Oh, uh, it would be... First off, can we just take a second and just realize how insane it is not to just change it's in a bathroom? time. But the thing is, Mikey, she is like misdoubt firing these weddings. She's yeah. going from one to the other and having to change on the way because she's putting on a, a sorry for the other wedding. Right. Which you cannot put on in a car. No, <laughs> no, you cannot. Uh, and then she has to like change back into her wedding her bridesmaid's dress for the other wedding. So she's having to like do this on the fly. Anyway, she arrives at the second wedding and the bride says, aren't these beautiful? You can shorten them and wear them again, which no, you can't. It's a sorry. It's like a giant, giant thing of fabric that you wrap yourself in like a dress. Yes. And have to like tuck and fold and pin. And it's a process and it is learned. And the fact that she's just like changing into the car. Impossible. Yeah. So she's at the wedding. She's checking the time again. And then she's back to the other wedding. Then back again. And she does this three or four times. The taxi driver does help her with the shoes. Yeah, they did They did the Macarena in each one and the electric slide. Yeah, it, it really is just her doing the same things at each wedding. And like the brides thanking her specifically for being such a big help with planning the wedding. But also, and I just have this in my notes, I just wrote, this is insane. This woman does not know how to set boundaries. No, she doesn't. She yes, doesn't yes. know how to say no, Paige. She does learn how to say no in this movie, but not now. That's true. Then she's helping the brides go to the bathroom, which is a real thing. Is it? Because I wrote in my notes, is it a thing that you would have to help the brides yes, pee? Absolutely. All right. Your dress typically has a ton of layers. And you'll need help going to the bathroom because you'll need people to hold the dress up around you so that you can move to pee. Or you could be like me and have your dress specially tailored so that you could wear it with no shapewear and you could pee whenever you want. And you can eat as much as you want because it fits you and you don't have to like squeeze into it. I feel like that's the way to go. No regrets. They also ask, did you eat anything and we reveal that at least one of the brides has not eaten all day. And yeah. that's actually a thing, too. And if you see, like, on America's Funniest Home Videos and stuff, brides passing out, it's yeah. because brides often don't eat that day. Is it because they're trying to fit in their dress? Like, why, why would you no, not do that? No, it's honestly, it's, there's just too much to do, and they don't have time. Okay, I, I could see that. And gotcha. it was something that my mom, God bless her, had told me in advance of like, you are going to forget to eat that day. So you need to plan right now, a week before this wedding happens, when you're going to eat and make sure you have food so that you actually eat that day or else you're going to get to like 10, 11 at night and you haven't eaten since the day before. And it's right. just crazy. Anyway, they go to toss the bouquet at the first wedding and she tries to catch it and some girl like elbows her in the face yeah like knocks her to the ground like you would get like a high sticking penalty in hockey like it was like yes in her face knocked her to the ground this is part of why i didn't toss a bouquet at my wedding can i just say this we know immediately that kevin who we're about to meet right here yes is the worst Yes. Because she is knocked to the ground, possible concussion, and he's like, 
hey, let me take you home. Yeah. Yeah. You don't take a girl with a possible head injury home. You take her maybe to the hospital. I I think what we kind of notice in the movie is he can tell that she's going between multiple weddings. He has figured it out. And I think it fascinates him and he wants to ask more questions. I don't know that he necessarily wants to get down on that concussed pussy, but like he definitely (laughs) wants to ask it questions. But like anyway, so Kevin, James Marsden, who was a national treasure, takes her to the cab and like takes her home more or less. And his opener when he gets her in the cab is to show her that he's a Cisco fan. And he was like, nice thong. That seemed like a weird way to open up a conversation with someone you don't is know. Is that what he says in the cast? Yes! yes, it is what he says. It's so it's so creepy. What I mean, if you want to say, "Hey, I saw you changing in the car. You're clearly going to multiple weddings." You don't open with nice thong. I thought that's what he he said, "Why are you going to two weddings in one night? That's crazy." Nope. The first thing he said was nice thong. Yeah. It literally is them getting in the cab, scene of them in the cab. Nice thong. Like, yep. that's how the scene goes. Yep. So you immediately know Kevin's a creeper. And I, I say that loving James Marsden as a human. Yes. He's horrible in this movie. Well, and he then proceeds to give her a lecture about how weddings and marriage are stupid. Yeah. I thought that part was funny. Well, I thought it was funny, but a little over the top where he like he kind of really drives the point home to the point where it's like she's clearly done listening to you. I also think if you're saying something like wedding industrial complex in a conversation, you have been talking too long. I say that all the time. (laughs) I I say it all the time. (laughs) Yeah, She does say that. Coming from a guy who drives the point home to the point where a woman won't talk to him again. <laughs> I have related. I related to the scene and I saw a younger version of myself in Kevin. Yeah. Being like, man, I really wasn't good at flirting back then. So would you say you were a thong enthusiast? No, not that. That's creepy. But being like, <laughs> like just like intact, like picking antagonizing to the point where like it just goes overboard and goes, goes the wrong way. So your version of flirting was picking on them. Yeah, I was single for a long time. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, all right. Is this something you still do, Mikey? Not usually. Oh, that's let's we gotta get those numbers down. Like we gotta figure out how to <laughs> to make it to where it's no. Oh, well, it's not I mean, it's like, you know, it's just funny. Like when you find that someone's so obsessed with weddings to the point like it's where it's weird, you're gonna be like, you know, like half people divorce. That I mean, that is the thing where she has an unhealthy obsession with weddings she really does yes i understand where he's coming from but then she does counter back with a pretty decent point where he's like 50 percent of marriages end in divorce and she's like yes relationships take work and i'm like that's a healthy counter argument from a clearly unwell person <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is also where she asks him what he does for a living and he says that he's a writer or whatever. Let's stop here because I'm already sick of writers being in these movies. Yeah. Like we've only done a few of these episodes and I feel like one of the main characters is a writer every other episode. Yeah. You're right. It was uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Mm-hmm. The lucky one, no writer in that one. And then this movie, which has a writer. So yep. it literally has been every other one. Mikey. And Shakespeare in Love. So yeah, it literally has been every other one. Mikey, you're absolutely right. And like, I've never met a writer. You know what I mean? 
considering that print media is almost dead, it is weird that we find this many writers in these movies. <laughs> so she leaves her planner behind in the taxi, perfect for him to, you know, make a story around. Also, it's the planner of a serial killer. Yes. And he does mention that her handwriting is like the Unabomber <laughs> later. And I was like, yes, that is a sign. <laughs> like, it is a sign because Kevin is a writer and he idolizes the Unabomber. Those are all red flags, Paige. <laughs> I just meant Catherine Heigl should be examined. <laughs> yeah. um, well, okay. So he finds the planner and he like looks at the cab driver like, oh, turn around. He's like, oh, never mind. I yeah. have an idea. Ding. I'm going to gaslight the fuck out of this chick. Tell me about it. <laughs> this is what he does. He, he <laughs> gaslights the shit out of her, man. Anyway, we'll get into it. This planner has weddings listed almost every single weekend because he flips through it and we get to see it. Yeah. And this movie says that she has 27 wedding dresses, but that's not enough dresses. If she had weddings every weekend for every summer of her adult life, she would have had attended approximately 12 weddings a year from the age of 18 to now, which means that it should be anywhere from 72 to 120 weddings, depending on her age. So she should have at least twice as many wedding dresses. So 127 dresses should be the name of this movie. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> she is, I would say, 30, maybe 32, 33 in this movie. Is she? She's anywhere from 27 to her early 30s. That's my range, Paige. <laughs> Catherine Heigl, get it, Mikey. She's mid to late 20s because she started that job right out of college and she worked there for like four or five years. Yeah, she's been there at least two years. And then she says that she stayed another few years because she was yeah. in love with him. So I would say minimum she is 27 years old. Yeah, one year for every dress, Paige. Yeah, well, so that's kind of what I was basing my math on is that she could be anywhere from 25 to 32. So anywhere from about 72 to 120 weddings. But at this point, we see her apartment and I was like, oh shit, she's like a CEO because she has a very big New York apartment. With a full kitchen. Yeah, and she lives alone. Now, she also has a whole closet just for her bridesmaids dresses, which means that she has another closet somewhere in the house for her regular clothes. You guys don't have that? <laughs> I mean, I have a closet in my bedroom and then like a coat closet. Like a linen but closet, she, yeah. Yeah, but she has like two closets. This is New York, which means that a two-bedroom apartment is going to be anywhere from $3,500 to $5,000 a month. And she's an administrative assistant. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I thought she was like a CEO of a company. Yeah. When we follow her to work the next day, which I know we'll get to... I thought, oh, shit, she runs this company. I thought so, too. And then we find out she's the assistant, and I literally wrote in my notes, oh, Paige is going to hate this so much. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way she can afford this. Her coworkers treat her like she does kind of run the company. Well, she is the CEO's assistant. And listen, my CEO has an assistant where I work, and if you don't stay on her good side, your life is not great. So I could sort of see why they are very, very nice to her. That makes sense. But she does not make enough money to pay that rent. Not at all. Her salary would be anywhere from about $40,000 to about 80000 if she was like a well-kept admin person. Because like the more famous and high-powered your CEO is, the more they pay that assistant because that assistant is, is juggling a lot of hats. They're almost a gatekeeper at that point. Yeah, you know? but... With that salary, she could not afford that apartment. No, even if it was 80000 there's no way she could. Yeah. Now, she plops down on the couch to read 
the wedding section, which is insane that she just got home from two weddings and she's like, let's read about more weddings. She's got to get that <laughs> wedding fix after her two weddings. She is unwell. I'm trying to think from a mental health angle. Because, Mikey, you're like a licensed therapist, right? I mean, yes, I am. A licensed mental health professional. I've always seen you as more of a licensed mental health unprofessional. <laughs> I am not a mental health professional, but I I was thinking obsessive compulsive tendencies. Okay. And definitely an anxiety disorder. I could see that. I'll agree with that. I think she has a very anxious attachment to those people around her, and she feels like if she doesn't do exactly what they want 100% of the time, then she is going to, like, lose friends or family members or whatever. Anxious attachment is an attachment disorder. Okay, unlicensed piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) See, you're just mad at me because I came at you with the unprofessional (laughs) comment. I know what you're doing. That's projection. Give me a license. Let's do this, I I do think you're right. I I do think she has some (laughs) attachment issues and anxiety issues, and I do think that she has obsessive-compulsive tendencies that are manifesting in the care of the people around her which manifest as weddings here we go mom left her so she has an anxious attachment mom died do not say she left mom went out for cigarettes and ended up in heaven (laughs) (laughs) oh god And that wedding was the only good memory that she had from that time frame. So she's like obsessed. Yeah, about yeah, it. I, I would agree because weddings are most of the time, ideally happy events where you've. Yeah, you, you're seeing people that you haven't seen in a long time. There's dancing, there's cake, there's good food. It comes down to what all of our characters in these movies have emotional boundary issues. And they're like anxious that people won't love them unless they do all these weird things. Yeah. So we cut to James Marsden's office the next day. He's walking into work and we find out that not only is he not getting laid, which is maybe why he's such a desperate weirdo, but also (laughs) that he writes wedding announcements. Yeah. He writes the wedding articles that she loves to read. Yes. Are they announcements? Are like what? Like, because it seemed like he would write like a whole story. I got the impression that, that they were not announcements, that they were articles about like big like weddings that had happened in the city at the New York Journal. Right. Which is supposed to be the New York Times. The New York Times like wedding announcements are kind of a big deal. If it's like a society wedding or a political wedding, they'll write like an article about it. That's what I thought his job was. Yes. So this movie posits a world where every woman in New York immediately reads the wedding announcements for his articles, which is insane. That's the craziest thing in the world. It is so much so that he has to write under a pseudonym so that he doesn't have like women stalking him or whatever. He wishes. And <laughs> and apparently in this world, the idea of a pseudonym is so insane that Katherine Heigl cannot grasp it. Okay, I, I have I need I need to make some talking points here. Okay, because you guys are I get it. The movie's bad. But we, I gotta we gotta back up a bit. My grandparents would read all of the obituaries every day in the paper. That's because they were saying goodbye to their friends. <laughs> <laughs> so there are people I don't know if you've read the obituaries But sometimes there's gold there There is fire, right. yeah I will also say I mean, I go by Mikey instead of Michael on this podcast For the same reason 
Oh yeah, yeah. You changed you changed your first name from Michael to Mikey so that you wouldn't have women reaching out to you. It's the same name. <laughs> also, Mikey is single, ladies, so it's not so, working, Mikey. So's Kevin. Okay. <laughs> Mikey's single and he's sensitive. He just told me after looking at my wedding photos that he would have cried at my wedding. That is so. true. I did say that. <laughs> okay, also, let, I'm gonna. I don't want to be a Kevin apologist in this movie. Okay, I don't want to do that. You shouldn't be. He's stalking a mentally ill woman. <laughs> I, I will say, his wife left him for his best friend. Oof, yeah, and then his job became to write about weddings. Yes, unless he specifically chose that job. To destroy weddings from within. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to destroy Secret a wedding, agents. you have to become one with the wedding. <laughs> wedding Dexter. <laughs> Coming this fall. Here's the thing. We don't find out about his previous relationship until over an hour into the movie. And then it's like given to you like it's a throwaway. Yes. We also find out in this section that he stole her planner and he's pitching a story based on her planner, which is wildly invasive. He doesn't have her permission to do this. And it's just all around absolute douchebaggery. It really is. Yeah. It reminded me of How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. I get that, Mikey. I agree. Except for How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, they're both doing sort of the same thing. Yes. In this movie, Katherine Heigl is like just overly helpful and has no boundaries. She is not ultimately and fundamentally a bad person. She is just mentally unwell. Whereas Kevin in this movie is just using a mentally unwell person to advance his career. So... <laughs> We cut to Katherine Heigl coming back to her office on Monday, and Judy Greer is coming in from a two-day walk of shame. I love Judy Greer so much in this movie and in real life. She's my favorite. I, I think she's the best. Her character in Archer is my favorite. Absolutely. For the rest of this like next scene, she is wearing... A clearly a men's white shirt. Yep. And then she has used her bridesmaid's dress as a belt. Yes. It's hilarious <laughs> it awesome. looking. It looks like it's just a sash from the, yes. the bridesmaid's dress, but it's tied around her like a belt so that she yes. looks like the, the shirt is more feminine, but it clearly is. I did not notice Whoever she this. hooked she, up with shirt at the, at the yes. wedding. Yeah. Now, Catherine Heigl is looking for her planner. So she's already noticed it's gone because yeah. she's obsessive. And she walks up to the front desk where we have Caitlin Ritter. Jessica Jones. Hello. Everyone's in this movie. And I love that part yeah. of it. She's literally in this for only this scene. She's not, though, because she's the goth wedding that she goes to later. And that is the goth she's wedding. At you're the right. very, very end, you see her again. But you're right. She's only yes. in this like one little scene. Right. Yeah, this is her only talking scene. Yes. Right. So Catherine Heigl asks her if she's seen her planner and then asks her if she has the catalog pages ready, which means that this insane excuse for a movie passes the Bechtel test. <laughs> <laughs> Oh in this God. one scene. By the way, this is the only scene in the film that passes this test. But it still passes. Yeah. It still passes. The, yeah. the Bechtel test is not like a high bar to clear. It's just most nope. movies don't even clear no, it. No, it's like the lowest bar. I'm amazed that this movie does, though. Honestly, impressed. I went back and watched that scene because I was like, I'm pretty sure that's the only place that it does. And it does. And it's only because she asks her if she's found two different things that are not a man. <laughs> so this is where we find out that she's the assistant to the CEO. 
He comes in. She's clearly kind of obsessed with him in a way that is troubling and unhealthy. And uh, she is basically showing him catalog pages that she has helped mock up to the point where I have in my notes, it seems like she is doing his job for him. That's that she's fair. She does. Yeah. Yeah. That she's been his assistant for so long. She is basically doing his job and he is allowing her to do that. I think this movie really tries to make her boss into a bad guy. And I would make the case that her boss is just a boss. And the only reason that they're painting him as a bad guy is because it's through Katherine Heigl's point of view. But the reality is her boss has given her work tasks and she has accepted them, setting a precedent and not setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. Her boss has a platonic relationship with her because he's her boss. And if he were to act any differently and act on her psychic thoughts because he can't read her mind but like if he could and acted on them he would potentially open himself up to a workplace harassment lawsuit so every choice her boss makes within this movie i think is fine and they paint it like he's horrible and it's wild i don't think it painted him too much as like a horrible person i think the sister was the main villain yeah i think the sister's the main villain but i think they try to paint him as like dismissive and like why doesn't he notice that she's in love with him Paige, i completely agree with you like he yeah. does i think not have good boundaries with his assistant but i don't think right. he's inappropriate with his assistant yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah no yeah. but if I, you know if your assistant wants to like do everything for you like that's fine that here's the thing i would argue he asks her Because we encounter this a scene or two later where he leaves his dry cleaning slip on her desk and he says, was that okay? I know we haven't had a relationship like that up to this point. Let me know if there's a problem. Which is him saying, I've assigned you a task. Let me know if this is an overstep of boundaries. And I think that she could have said, yeah, I don't have time to do that or I don't feel comfortable doing that. And then he he would not have assigned her stuff like that again. Yes. And can I just say that I also love Edward Burns. I think he's great. Is that who that is? Yeah, that's her boss. That's George. In my notes, he's just store brand Patrick Wilson. Anyway, (laughs) at this point... We cut to James Marsden's office where he's trying to pitch the story to Jan and she's kind of shooting him down. Right. Is that her name in the movie or she's just Jan from The Office? I didn't know what her name was in this. I don't think we ever get a name. And if we do, it's in passing. Yeah, she's his boss. That's all you need to know. Here's the thing. He pitches this story as like a takedown of the wedding industrial complex. And I am all for that. But that's not what this story ends up being. (laughs) No, it's not. It's a love letter to like romantic wedding. Well, no, his story about her is him using. He's like, look, I found a person with a lot of issues. Yes, it's it's look at this freak. (laughs) It's an expose on mental health is what it is. Yes. I mean, she's not like, she needs therapy. She doesn't need like inpatient hospitalization. Now, we cut back to Katherine Heigl talking with Judy Greer about how much she is kind of, quote unquote, obsessed with her boss, George. Um, And Judy Greer gives her some good advice, essentially, of just like, say something or stop it basically yeah is what she tells her yeah also there's a way she plays it where you can kind of tell that judy greer is kind of like really tired of having this conversation yeah i also thought it was insane that judy greer was cutting her own hair in this scene oh my god is she cutting her own hair did you not see that she was like cutting her split ends i saw her like oh her split ends okay i saw her playing with her hair but when you said cutting her hair i thought you meant like 
Yeah, just taking huge chunks out. <laughs> no, she wasn't giving herself bangs. She's just like cutting her split ends off. I was like, is that something people do? Like cutting their split ends off? Yes. Ladies okay. do that all the time. Yeah. Todd, let's not split hairs here. Let's just. Oh, God. I hate yeah. you so much that I can't stand not being with you. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know how to quit you, Mikey. At this point, flowers are delivered to the office and there's no note. And she believes that they're from her boss, maybe. Which, Which would be absolutely the weirdest thing that's ever happened yes. in the workplace. Yeah. Yes. Unless her grandmother died. Yes. And it's <laughs> it's yeah. wildly inappropriate. The fact that it's at all played in the movie like it might be from George, I think is inappropriate. Well, yes, because he's he's shown no interest in her other than as an employee. Right. In fact, he showed no interest in acting in the movie. He just like looked like he's struggling through the scenes. You know who'd be better at it? Regular Patrick Wilson, Patrick Wilson instead of yeah. store brand Patrick Wilson. We don't need Bobo Patrick Wilson. We just need regular Patrick Wilson. <laughs> yeah, who could just wander through scenes anyway like he does in The Conjuring? Uh, so at this point, her boss pops back in and she thinks, I think, that he's going to reveal that he sent the flowers. But instead, he says, did you leave that burrito on my desk? And she says, yeah, I thought you might get hungry, which is crazy. Yeah. I've had people leave me food on my desk at work that I work with. Yeah. I, if there's food around. Like if someone brought in donuts or someone brought in bagels yeah. or something like that, I can definitely see that. It's not about like them and their affection for me. It's about me being like, I'm hungry all the time. <laughs> so like I went to Taco Bell and I brought you a quesarito and I'm like, you're the best. Yeah. I mean. I would understand that or I would understand if there was food around or if there was a case where she knew that he was going to work through lunch. But none of that's been established. She just is like a burrito fairy and just like randomly leaving burritos on desks. Her feelings for her boss are like really not good. They're inappropriate. Yeah. Then No, it goes beyond that. It's just... It, it, it's, She's made up a relationship with him in her mind that does not exist. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very unhealthily odd. You know what is, I think, even crazier than that is she has been obsessed with this one person for years and she has not told her sister. That yeah. seems insane to me. The, well, the, there's that. There's there's it's not like they hooked up like two years ago at the Christmas party and then she's been obsessed with it. Right. Like there's never been a boundary crossing. There's been there's been no evidence at all that he has had feelings for her. Right. Yes. She has the kind of crush that a 10 year old or a 12 year old <laughs> would have. Yeah. I'm being very serious where. No, no you're right. They, there's no concept of what a healthy relationship would be. There's no concept of what the indicators for that kind of relationship would be. And at no point has she brought up her feelings. She's just creating a fantasy world in her head. And this movie is treating that like it's noble. Like it's sweet. Yeah, like it's sweet. And what we kind of find out later is that he may have liked her. And maybe if she had said something years ago, they would have maybe dated and it wouldn't have been this huge thing. But she has literally created her own fantasy world and then lets it fester throughout the whole of this movie until she has what is effectively a psychotic break. She does. When she puts that black cocktail dress on, she goes like, it's like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. That's when I liked her. I know, me too. When she goes yeah. nuts, I was like, this is the Katherine Heigl I want to see in this movie. Yeah. I don't think it's a psychotic break. I just think it's a, maybe a... I don't know if you're qualified to make that judgment, Mikey. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll say that she reaches a breaking point where yes. she begins to engage in self-destructive and just borderline destructive behavior. Yeah. So after leaving burritos for everyone or whatever. It was just her boss. No, not everyone. Just him. Yeah. Just him. It would have been less weird if she got burritos for the office. That's true. We find out that she arranged the front desk girls engagement party and that's where they're headed next. Judy Greer asks her if she wants to come over to her place to pre-party with some guys from another part of the office, which I think is Judy Greer's way of saying he's not interested in you. Let's explore other options, because that is part of the problem with Katherine Heigl's mental state in this movie is that she has built up this fantasy world to the point where she is ignoring other viable options in her sphere of people. Yeah, I mean, she's a little off, and Kevin's super off. I feel like they would work. I mean, and that's, like, I think how the movie gets them together, but when he is introduced, she is, like, pushing him away. He's not even an option for her. When he is a attractive man like james marsden can get it yeah and then the efforts that he goes through to get her attention so like i have problems with timelines in this movie but like it's almost like he's been writing this article for like four months like finally get her to go out with him yes the timing of this movie makes no sense but cyclops puts the work in to get her to go out with him yeah he's a stalker he is a stalker (laughs) for an article not even because he's a stalker like she is with her boss no i do think he's just using her for the article and then sort of falls in love with her over the course of using her for the article but yeah no you're right mikey his intentions are not good yeah well but she rebuffs every man that talks to her as if she is married as if she is unavailable don't even try Well, I'll say this. As a man, that's actually a pretty good strategy because we're awful. (laughs) Is that a strategy to get us or to repulse us? Well, I mean, some people like the chase, um, so it might help. I don't know. Those people are not great people. (laughs) They're people like Kevin. And listen, Kevin in a movie seems great. Kevin in real life ends up in jail. Yes. (laughs) So she turns down the invitation to party, and her reasoning is, I can't. I have to pick up my sister at the airport. Right. <laughs> I do love Judy Greer because she's like, oh, yeah, because taxis and like black car and like limos don't exist or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think this is her criticizing Katherine Heigl bending over backwards for everyone around her. It is. Yeah. Yes. And I got the impression that Judy Greer has been her friend long enough to get a little bit of a taste of the relationship that Katherine Heigl has with her sister which is mm-hmm. not necessarily a healthy one. What? I, think, I don't think Katherine Heigl has many healthy relationships at all. I'll argue that her only healthy one is her relationship with Judy, and that's largely because Judy's a stand-up lady. Yeah, and, and I think Judy is trying to challenge her at points to break out of some of these cycles yeah. in her own way. So she goes to the airport where she picks up Malin Ackerman, who plays her sister. Oh, I have a pretty big crush on her, too. Really? really? I've only ever seen her be mediocre in things yeah including this yeah i try to aim realistically (laughs) that's not realistic mikey i like you a lot i like you a lot but i don't like you silk like you you're a good looking dude but you're not silk specter too good looking (laughs) mikey i think you could do it don't lie to him todd never give up never surrender yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's how you end up in jail guys 
What? That's Kevin's philosophy in this movie. <laughs> how funny, how funny or rich would I need to be to be with Malin Ackerman? Both. I think she's married, so I, I think it's a lost cause, maybe? <laughs> I know. When Hillary Duff got divorced, I was like, this is it. This is my chance. Hillary <laughs> Duff? What? Mikey, I'll go ahead and just say she does not deserve you. What? <laughs> Her teeth look like tombstones in a very strange cemetery. <laughs> Yeah, and I would bury my dick there. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, can I please leave that in? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Mikey, oh gross. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, that was, that was... Mikey, apologize to your mother right now. Oh, Mom, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Real talk, though. She got too many teeth in that mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so Catherine Heigl and Silk Spectre go back to her apartment. <laughs> oh, I forgot. So in the, in the airport, uh, Silk Spectre found a hot guy to carry all her luggage and then right. makes Catherine Heigl yes. carry it back at the apartment. <laughs> Yeah, I noticed that too. When she's opening the door, it's just Catherine Heigl carrying all her shit. It's just a bunch of hat boxes. How many <clears throat> hats does this bitch have? Just get a rolling suitcase. Twenty-seven. <laughs> she's got twenty-seven hats. Twenty-seven they're, hats. They're perfect for each other. <laughs> she's a different variation of the disease her sister has. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, she's carrying in all of these like boxes and whatever, and not a single one has like rollies on it. And I'm like, how was she able to carry all of these on? You guys don't understand. Her mom died. On the 27th. <laughs> <laughs> They're part of the 27 Club in their own way. Jimi Hendrix, Amy Winehouse, her dress collection, her hat collection. So they get back to Katherine Heigl's apartment where Malin Ackerman finds their parents' New York Times wedding announcement. And then she finds a pile of other wedding announcements that she's clearly Catherine heigl has been cutting out and saving of people that she does not know like, <laughs> like huge and they're big articles they're yes. like a page she basically tells her that she's only keeping the ones that this one writer writes because the stories are so beautiful which is still crazy it's just like her boss yes she has unhealthy attachments we can just say that right, right. yes but also how many writers does the commitment section of the newspaper have i mean probably multiple because we do see james James Marsden has to like follow a wedding to completion to completion (laughs) in this movie. Mm, Wanky blanky. Like in the wedding bed? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like consummate that shit or it doesn't count. (laughs) We go to print eight hours. So this is another time issue with this movie because we know that they're planning this wedding for at least a month, if not more. And then she and George were dating for a while and so I have to imagine that they've oh. got other people. Like I thought her and George dated for like a year and a half. I don't what? think I don't think it's that long. I thought the whole thing from top to bottom, movie starts to movie ends, was three and a half weeks. No, no, no. It's no. got to be longer than that. It's longer like, than that. I don't know, man. The, the boss and her relationship—they have a ton of scenes. Yes, and starting with this first one. So she invites Malin Ackerman to her work party and Malin Ackerman decides that she doesn't want to go. She's going to go hang out with whoever her people are. And at this point, it's pretty vague on what she does. We find out later that she's a fashion publicist, but 
all we know at this point is just something to do with fashion and that in the past she's had Euro trash boyfriends. Yeah, and that she just told her boyfriend she needed space. Yeah, Rodolfo. She told Rodolfo yeah. that she needed space. So they go to the party. James Marsden is stalking her with her planner because he goes to the same party. Yes. She arrives at the party and her boss offers to buy them drinks and she turns him down. Yeah. Oh, and Judy's like giving her advice on how to get a man. And it's pretty much just get drunk, hook up, get pregnant. I wrote it down. Okay. No, hit us with it. Yeah. Judy Greer's plan is in order. He asks for a drink. You say vodka soda. You down your drink. A little flirting, a little inner office sex, an accidental pregnancy, a shotgun wedding, and a life of bliss (laughs) is what she's saying. But essentially she's saying if you like him, flirt with him. You can't just brush him off and expect him to read your mind. Right. I have heard Mikey say something very, very similar about his future plans. Yes. Except the only difference is bourbon and coke (laughs) i respect that choice yeah i mean yeah that's love baby i also like that she she finishes it up with how many times have we been over this which means that she's given this advice multiple times (laughs) and she's the kind of person that takes her own advice she appears to in this film yes yeah Catherine heigl counters back and is like maybe i don't want to just be drunk i maybe i want to be appreciated and she basically says what good is it being appreciated if no one is naked (laughs) (laughs) now this is where her boss comes up and asks did you get that thing i left on your desk i know we haven't had that kind of relationship so let me know if it's a problem and Catherine heigl at this point clearly thinks it's the flowers she thinks it's the flowers from before at this point malin ackerman arrives in a yellow dress that is inconceivable. It is, it moves and sparkles. <laughs> it's like it's fake and was painted on. It looks yeah. like a CGI dress. <laughs> and it's just all sequins. And she just like glows as she walks through this party. And we find out that George is a raccoon because all he can see is shiny. the sister Tess. Yeah. It's the shiny. Yes. And so he sees her. The movie posits that it's basically love at first sight, and he does he immediately doesn't care for anything else except her. As you would going out with coworkers. Yeah, like, I do think he has an appropriate relationship with his employees. Yes, and she is not an employee, and you are absolutely right. Yeah. Now, Katherine Heigl tries to stop it from happening, but it's almost like she watches it and is like, no. It is shot like in one of those slow motion running scenes. Yes. Except everyone's in full speed, and it should not have happened in to begin with. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> because it had she told her sister, hey, I'm in love with my boss and had commiserated with her sister, I don't think Tess would have done what Tess does here. I right? Absolutely. I mean, she may yeah. have, but that would have made her a true villain instead of just somebody yeah. who doesn't read minds. Right, right, exactly. And I think Tess's big problem here is that she lies to George about a lot of things and doesn't read her sister's mind. Well, Tess is spoiled. And and the yeah. movie does set her up that way, where Tess has no problem with her sister doing everything for her. Mm-hmm. So Tess is enabling and reinforcing her sister's obsessive tendencies insofar as they benefit Tess. Yeah, just right. like a younger sibling does. <clears throat> wow. I feel personally attacked as a younger sibling. This has not been my experience with my younger sibling. <laughs> Thank you, Paige. Thank you. But my younger sibling also... 
uh, has like a house and her own life and stuff. So I feel personally attacked again. (laughs) (laughs) But it's in this conversation where Catherine Heigl's introducing Malin Ackerman that we find out that it wasn't the flowers. It was the dry cleaning. So he didn't send the flowers and he immediately is hitting on her sister and Catherine Heigl has to walk away from it because it's upsetting her. Yeah, but I mean, in all fairness to George, he's in a sea of attractive women of which none of he can hit on because they all work for him. Yep. So now she is the yeah. first emotionally and professionally available woman who's attractive. She's, she's like his type, so he's going to hit on her. There's nothing wrong yeah, with that. No, he doesn't do anything wrong in this scene. The movie paints it as if him and Tess are the worst people in the world and just ruining Katherine Heigl's life, but that's just because Katherine Heigl has set up an unhealthy fantasy world and she's yeah. functioning within it and nobody else is. And I'll be real with you, when I was younger, this was a problem for me of just not voicing needs or wants. And I have been in this situation of going to a party thinking you're going to be with one person there and having that person hit on someone else in front of you. And it is devastating. (laughs) It feels so painful. And so her hurt is very real. But at the same time, it is because she has built up a fantasy world in her head and hasn't been telling people how she feels and hasn't been setting clear boundaries. I've done that sort of stuff too. Like but, they're going to realize that I have feelings and they're going to, they're gonna, it's like, you know, we're yeah. hanging out together and they're going to realize, you know, that's that, that's that friend zone type of behavior. Here's the thing. I had a Judy Greer in my life at the time. Oh, good. And so I came home early and she was like, I was not expecting you to be here for hours basically and i was like well this girl showed up and they were flirting and i couldn't watch him pick a skinny girl over me i just i didn't need to see it basically and she was like yeah you just ensured that he would by leaving yeah you did and i was just like uh uh damn it you gave him no other option Paige. yeah i removed the other option it was my fault and it like that was a moment of like oh my god How many times have I left? How many times have I assumed what someone else was thinking because that's what my fantasy world of them had said they were thinking and removed myself as an option because I assumed, you know? Yeah. And it never happened again. Boom. Boom. At this point, Katherine Heigl walks out and screams on the roof, which... (laughs) It, for me, is one of the one of the few realistic feelings in this movie, but it's realistic for someone much younger than her. True, but it's also not realistic that outside the back door of this club <laughs> yes. or whatever, there would also be a 50th anniversary going on. I thought that was insane. She runs into James Marsden, who has her planner. Yeah, and he gives it back. He does give her date book He does book back. give it back and reveals that he's the one who sent the flowers. Yeah. Which is also... Kind of crazy. He's a stalker. I know Paige doesn't like flowers, but again, we're already seeing a lot of patterns in these movies where people are sending flowers very often. Yeah, yeah. this is true. And they very just quickly. die. It's the worst gift. Send bacon. <laughs> <laughs> or beef jerky. 
<laughs> or an, any kind of edible arrangement. Love it. Or don't send something yeah. to someone you just met one time. Yeah. I mean, what do you send for someone you like commented on their thong the first time you saw it? <laughs> More thongs. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that you liked these. Here's a subscription to me undies. Uh, you, you send one thing in that situation. It's an apology text the next day saying, I was highly intoxicated and I apologize for those things that I said. I'm sorry I talked so much about your thong. Sincerely, Cisco. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but from what I saw, you had dumps like a truck. truck what? Truck. What? <laughs> <laughs> so she is incredibly curt to him for no good reason. Yeah, she hates him out of the gate. Uh, good instinct. Yes, he is a stalker. I mean, yeah, he is a predator in this movie. <laughs> yeah. But at the same, here's the thing. Let's say that he's not a predator. This means that a person has gone to all the trouble to bring you back a thing that you lost and send you flowers to boot, which is weird. But there's no reason to be this mean to them. No. And I think it's because she's still operating in that fantasy world of like, get out of my way. I have to figure out how to get the love of my life back. Yeah. I have to figure out a way to make my boss put himself in a precarious legal position. Yes. <laughs> A better movie would do this more realistically. Like, he's an ex that she really wants back that's never going to happen. Yeah, that's my best friend's wedding, and it's a good movie. Are we doing that next week? That is not what we're doing oh. next week, but we should do that movie. We should do that movie. <gasps> I hate Todd's teasing us so much. No, but I mean, like, you know, we've all been caught up on, like, after a breakup where you can't move yeah. on. I've done some really stupid shit after a breakup because I couldn't move on. Yeah. Nothing like Kevin. Let me just go ahead and say I've never gone full on stalker. But, no, I've done some unhealthy stuff. No, but I mean, like, you know, I've turned down a James Marsden or two. Same. And it was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea you swung that way. I think you mean someone <laughs> yeah, who's yeah. super hot. I think oh. James Marsden was a stand-in. And listen, I've met James Marsden in person. He is super dreamy. I'm just going to say it. When I say a James Marsden, I mean an attractive... I mean, they were women, but I mean like an attractive, <laughs> fun person who was super into me and did like something really nice. And I'm like, that's great, but I'm really still obsessed with so-and-so. So he asks, can I buy you a drink? And she says, I'm not having a lot of fun right now. Which, Aww. for me, is the first time she's been honest about her feelings. <laughs> Yeah, this is the first time she sort of stands up for herself on some level. And that's where I would say, I'm the fun police. <laughs> You're under arrest for being too pouty. You have the right to remain smiling. Anything you do can and will be used against you to make this party happen. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Those are your party Miranda Wright. <laughs> <laughs> the Beastie Boys fought for those, okay? <laughs> the right to party? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? I marched for your party rights. This is, this is, that's like me when I find out that ladies don't vote and I'm like, women died! Um... <laughs> <laughs> so he says maybe i'll bump into you on thursday which he established from the planner was her bikini wax yeah <laughs> because he's got weird boundaries no i mean i think it's a good joke if you're like a stalker do you think if a stalker came up to you and threatened to go to your bikini wax page you would take it as a joke unless he's got very nimble hands and hot wax no <laughs> i mean i probably would have paid done something else like I didn't want to show up to your hair 
disappointment. Oh, God. No, this doesn't work. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's technically still a hair appointment. <laughs> <laughs> so we see that her boss and her sister are immediately hitting it off. Oh, yeah. They invite her to go dancing. She turns them down. No, her sister even goes, like, shakes her head, like, don't, don't go, don't go. Well, I mean, clearly she wants to be alone with yeah. him. Yeah. And, and the boss is inviting her to be nice. Uh, but so Catherine Heigl stays up waiting for them past 3 a.m. And she's obsessively cleaning the house. Malin Ackerman finally comes home super late. And she asks her, is it weird that I'm dating your boss? So this is, again, somebody saying, hey, I've done something. Is this a boundary for you? Right. Is this too much? And then is this too much? And then Catherine Heigl lies and says no. And Malin Ackerman's like, great, because we're having lunch tomorrow. And she launches into like, tell me everything about him. And this is really the only way we learn anything about her boss. But we find out a lot. Like we find out that he's a vegetarian. He has a dog named Gatsby. Like mm -hmm. we find out all of these things that Tess then uses as her personality to have him fall in love with her. Right. Now, this is also where we learn about the company. Urban Everest <laughs> is the name of the company. We have no idea what they do. It's some sort of catalog question mark. It's like outdoorsy gear, I'm sure, right? Yeah, we don't know. So at this point, Katherine Heigl is bragging about him like an insane person, like a, a literal stalker. Like she's yeah. been stalking her boss. She has been, yeah. And she tries to claim that he has deal breakers, I think to try and like get Tess to not like him. But she only comes up with he hates cashews and sometimes he doesn't wear socks with sneakers. Right. At this point, it's unspoken, and I, I think it must have been to try and keep this movie PG-13 or something, but there's no sex in this movie at all. I mean, she got home at 3 a.m. There was sex in this night. This is, well, yeah, this is the only point where we have, like, positive evidence other than Judy Greer, where <laughs> she kind of implies... She kind of implies that, yes, they hooked up and something happened. Yeah. And Catherine Heigl is going to, like, blow a head vein. Yeah. They clearly boned, like Tess and George. They yeah. clearly had sex. The next day, they go to see their dad, and he makes bear pancakes, and they're very, very cute. I liked her dad. I loved her dad. And also, why not waffles? They're by far the superior breakfast food. I agree. They're just pancakes with abs. <laughs> so her dad asks, how long are you here for? And Catherine Heigl says one to two weeks because that was the original information she had about her sister's visit. And then Malin Ackerman says, well, maybe longer based how based on how things pan out. Yeah. And no one talks about that. Like at my house, that would interrupt to a whole big fight discussion. Fight discussion? Yeah. Like, why didn't you tell me you were staying longer? What's really going on in your life? Well, I don't want to talk about it. What do you mean you don't want to talk about it? You're staying with us. You have to talk about it. Joining us is Mikey's mother. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like me and my brothers. We're like, because uh, like they'll say something like that, and the rest of your family's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you can't just like say vague statements like you're staying in this house. I think the implication here is that she's going to date George for a week or two and then probably move in with George. Yeah. Oh, that's not. She's getting her hooks in, yeah. Now, we cut back to Catherine Heigl's office where she's flipping through her planner and realizes that James Marsden has written his name all over her planner like a middle school notebook. It was every Saturday. He wrote in plans yeah. with him every Saturday, <gasps> which is the mm -hmm. day they go 
to weddings. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. I mean, super yeah. creepy move, but that's the day they mm-hmm. go to weddings. To, not together, but for their job. I thought it would be a funny move if they had, like, been friends or had gone on a date and it went well. Yeah, they had not, though. I, I have a very close friend who I had his comedy notebook one time where we keep all our jokes and I drew a bunch of dicks in it before giving it back. So <laughs> it can be romantic. <laughs> wow. Thank you for sharing that story. Next time, don't take my side. <laughs> <laughs> don't help me. <laughs> I mean, there's a version of this movie out there in a parallel universe where some of this is romantic. Disagree. <laughs> Like, if they went on, like, three dates, then she left her planner after they spent the night, and then he returned it to yeah, her. Yeah, but, that but is Mikey, different. what you're saying is, had this movie been different, it would have been romantic. And yes, well, I agree with that. <laughs> what what Mikey is, is arguing and is very true about this movie, this is two separate movies. Because half of this movie with James Marsden is How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, where they're writing about each other. That's the whole plot and that's the meat of the story. And then the other half is a woman having a breakdown because her sister is marrying the person she loves. And for some reason, they've decided to put those two things in the same movie and they should be separate movies. I agree. So she confronts him about it and he says, what do you do besides working and helping people have weddings and how do you afford going to all these weddings? Which is a valid question. Yeah, because she can't even afford to live where she lives and she's flown, we know, at least to Tokyo for one of these weddings. Um, I can answer this question right now. Oh, God. Okay. One person in that company has access to everything. You think Catherine Heigl is embezzling for weddings? Catherine Heigl is embezzling for weddings. And in her delusional mind is like, we're already basically together anyway. He would support me and my life choices. Oh, my God. I honestly think that's the only way it makes sense. <laughs> Well, and especially he brings up that her common gift for weddings is Wine of the Month Club, which is about 150 bucks. So that means that for every wedding she goes to. So for this summer, she spent about $1,000 just on the gifts, not even counting the dresses, which are, let's say, 100 to $200 each. And that's if the bride is kind to you. She's, she's <laughs> embezzling. She's got that place. She has to be. You're talking about the Wine of the Month. You have all the dresses. You have her lifestyle, which, by the way, her regular clothes are very nice. And then you have the fact that she had $300 cash to give to a cab driver. Yeah, that's true. I honestly think she's stolen millions from the company. Yeah. Because at the end of this movie, she quits on a whim. That's not something you do unless you've got money in the bank. But here's the only time that the movie asks this question then it never answers it i do hate that they ask the question but they don't answer it like if you ask that question you've got to give me some numbers oh you mean like let's go out later yeah. and i'll tell you a joke oh don't oh. don't mikey no we cannot keep referencing that movie <laughs> <laughs> we've come so far that- like from colorado to louisiana <laughs> <laughs> For people who just skipped the Lucky One episode because you haven't seen the movie, first, do yourself a favor, watch the movie. Secondly, listen yeah. to the episode because it's fucking fire. So she does say to James Marsden at this point, please find someone else to be creepy with. So 
here's the problem. Now she has revoked consent as well, yeah. and he's still stalking yes. her. Yeah. He's a stalker. He's a bad person. And this is where it crosses, I believe, a legal threshold. <laughs> yes, I agree. <gasps> I agree. And she's got documented proof of him stalking her. Yeah. So the next thing we cut to is his little brother from the Little Brothers and Little Sisters program, Pedro, shows up at the office. Yeah. I didn't really like what they did with the little brother, Pedro. Oh, the fact that Malin Ackerman is full-blown racist in this yes. movie? <laughs> like, yells at his face racism. Like, Hola, insane. Pedro. Oh, my God. I literally wrote, Tess is an idiot. Yes. They go to Pedro's baseball game where we again find out that Tess is claiming to be vegetarian, where she's eating like a tofu dog with meatless chili, which. Ugh. Oh, God. What's the point? Well, and she's also talking about the dog that she loved growing up and calling it by the wrong name. She's just like lying in front of yeah. her sister who knows better. And her sister right. lets her do this. I'm not saying yeah. that Catherine Heigl is responsible for her sister lying, but she allows it to continue. Siblings don't yeah. let siblings lie like this. I didn't think they would either because, man, my brothers and sister would have sold me yes, out immediately. Yes, me too. Oh. Yeah, agreed, agreed. She lies the whole time until George, the boss, goes up to shag balls. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And then he calls Tess over and she says, are we going to shag now? Like, she doesn't know. Like, I what? I thought that that yeah. was insane. It's a funny word play that is bonkers. Is it? Ma'am, there are families around. <laughs> I didn't yeah. find these jokes hit very hard. No, they, like Pedro in Little League, could not hit very hard. <laughs> um, we cut back to <laughs> Catherine Heigl's apartment where Malin Ackerman's still staying there, and she keeps getting tons and tons and tons of flowers. Yeah. We're kind of cutting through like a montage of like her boss is always on the phone with her. She's his screensaver. They're going to family dinner. But it's like played for like it's like killing Catherine Heigl inside. Yeah, well, at one point they're fucking in her house. Yes. Like I don't. <laughs> okay. So I would think that if and Paige, just tell me if I'm wrong. If your sister and I'm only using you as an example because you have like a sister that's like similar age range or whatever. Right. 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 If you were into a dude and your sister started dating that guy, and they were fooling around, probably having a sexual relationship, wouldn't that sort of kill that for you? Yeah, that it would be strange. Yeah, I don't, like, at the end of the movie, when they kiss, I was like, ugh, gross. What are you doing? Yes, I have. I had a real big problem with it. It's, there's a word for it in medieval England uh, called <laughs> affinity. They accused Henry VIII of it because he had a baby with Anne Boleyn's sister and then married Anne Boleyn. Oh, yeah, I forgot I had a word for it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we cut to, she's at the front desk girl, uh, Kristen Ritter's goth wedding, which is hilarious. Paige, also, this is the point in the movie where I, like, lost track of time like it was like a, it was like this movie goes on yeah. forever i was like am i seeing years of their life i don't understand what's happening in this film i thought we were seeing a few months okay to me this felt like a couple months because we opened the movie she was planning the engagement for the goth wedding but they didn't even seem like real friends that well that's the thing with katherine heigl she just likes weddings so even if she's not close she's getting involved she's using these brides well, yeah where's the story of like the goth girl being like I don't know you and we work together. I don't want you this involved in my wedding. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, let's say even if goth wedding is happening pretty quickly, four to six months from that engagement okay. party to now, at that's least that makes sense to me. To because me. with, with the, all that's going on with her boss and her sister. Yeah, I thought it was like three weeks. I thought the whole movie was like three, four that weeks. That would be insanity. 
I know. I thought it was. Well, here's what's not believable about that is that James Marsden's been writing that story the whole time. Well, he yeah. could have put it on the back burner, but he's also going after her for six months. I know. That's why I thought it was like three, four weeks, the whole movie. Because, like, there's no way. Like, no. you would lose interest, right? No, Mikey? no, no. He's not going to lose interest because he is a sociopath. <laughs> well, he's also, he's using her for, he's using her for the story. But here's the thing. I don't think, like, he's trying to get ahead and get out of the wedding section in the paper. Right. Why would he wait? Why would he work six months on a story to get out of the paper? And if they knew that that it was going to take him that long to write feature stories, they wouldn't let him do it. They would be like, yeah, this took you eight months or whatever by the time he actually writes it. Yeah, it's a great story, but you should have written a book in this amount of time. Yeah. Like, (laughs) seriously, though. I agree. So at the wedding, Judy Greer notices Malin Ackerman and the boss, and it's almost like it's the first time she's noticed, which I'm like, you work in the same office. How would you not have noticed this? Yeah. Then we cut to Katherine Heigl's office, and there's a note that says, drinks, question mark, Kevin, question mark, which is James Marsden. And character. I 100% thought Kevin, James Marsden, broke into her office to leave <laughs> that note on her desk. Me too. And then Natalie explained to me that he probably just called and someone left that note. And I was like, okay, I'm more comfortable with that. Um, Given his other actions, he broke in. That's what I thought, too. I thought based on his actions, he's the one doing this. What if he put it on yeah. a breakfast burrito, just like she did? <laughs> <laughs> Her boss comes in, and she's picking his tie and tying his tie. No, listen, he can't tie a tie. This man is an adult. He's the CEO of a company, and he does not know how to tie a tie. That is ridiculous. Well, and the second she was picking his ties, I was like, oh, he's going to propose. Really? Okay, so you saw this coming? Yeah. I mean, why else would you wear a tie? Well, why else would he be that worried about the way he looks? He's never expressed this before. He's never expressed anything before. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's we've seen her do any number of things for him, and this has never been one of them. Okay. And it's a very intimate gesture to adjust someone's tie if you are not in a relationship with them. And I think it was set up to kind of, you know, foster some intimacy with her to kind of promote her continuing to build her fantasy world. Yeah. And then to have it come crashing down when she realizes they're getting married. I didn't read it like that because he's so the way the actor Bobo Patrick Wilson plays it, but he plays it like he's completely disinterested in her. But he's like, hey, dude, you mind help me pick out this tie? And then she's like, well, let me tie it. He's like, okay, whatever. He's like, all right, thanks. Bye. And then she's like, oh, it's a loaded action. That's something a wife does. That's not something a random person. Does. I agree with that. It is played like that is a wifely role. Okay. Well, sometimes at work, you don't, you're not good at tying ties and you're not a CEO and you don't have Mikey, a wife. do you not know how to tie a tie? I do know how to tie a tie, well, but I've had someone at work adjust my tie before. I didn't ask them to, but they offered. I mean, I've tied ties for guys at work because they didn't grow up super religious like me, but yeah. None of us were in love with each other or my brother. Well, <laughs> here's what I'm going to ask. Was this person older than you, like an older woman? No, but like I have like a very like brother-sisterly relationship with like- Okay, so but there's like an established there is nothing here. We're just friends. Yeah, it's called work. Yeah, well, exactly. Yes. <laughs> that, so that's, that's the point. But that's the problem with this scene is he is like, it's work because that's what he should think because it's work. But for her fantasy world, that's what she's reading into it. 
I'll be honest with you, I would not just go adjust anyone's tie. No, it's somebody who like we were we were closer, like closer work people. Yeah, it's not like someone I was just like, hey, new girl, adjust my tie. I also think that this is something where if there were like budding feelings somewhere where there was like a flirtatious relationship, that takes it to another level. Oh. Because it is an intimate gesture. Yeah. Your hands are right near somebody's jugular. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. It's just weird that you said it that Maybe way. Maybe it's not that intense emotionally for me because I don't have a neck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But either way, I mean, she does tie the tie. He bones out of there and goes to dinner, but he forgets his wallet. So she picks it up and like follows him to dinner and I thought that the language he uses when she walks in and they unroll the will you marry me sign. Yes. What he says is so pointed and mean. It's hilarious. It's not pointed and mean. It's just practical. I know. But as the viewer, you know what she's feeling. So it is pointed and mean. And it's very, oh, no, she's not the one. She is not yeah, the one. she's not the and one. And to me, Katherine Heigl being not the hot sister is insane. She is so much more attractive than Tess. Um, oh, Mikey. We are not going to. No, no. This is not up for debate, you insane person. Just because Tess is more attainable does not mean she's more attractive. <laughs> well, no, here's the thing. I think they try to ugly Katherine Heigl they up do. in this they movie. They do. They do try. She is wearing Failed. frumpy, crazy things all the time, and then she looks gorgeous in these dresses, and you're just like, who's going to believe that she's, like, alone and sad? <laughs> it's- Attractiveness does not mean they're the one for you. You, you know, he has yeah. repeatedly expressed that he does not think she is the one. Yeah. And also, this is six months into, like, their rela- like the relationship with his sister. Yeah, it's weird that she still has feelings for her sister's boyfriend. Yes. Yes. And that's why he's like, oh, she's not the one. This is her sister, which you could very reasonably say. I agree. She effectively ruins his proposal. Yeah. And she won't leave. Like, she, she's just Well, she gets out. stuck there. She gets mariachi blocked. She could have walked towards the camera and out of the restaurant. Yeah, she doesn't. They go to tell her dad. I don't know if you know, we get a close-up of the ring. It's the same Tiffany Solitaire from Sweet Home Alabama. Is it the same <laughs> ring? I don't know if it's the exact same ring, like, prop ring. It's the same style. So, apparently, only sociopaths pick out that ring. No, it was just the most popular engagement ring at the time. Okay. And those movies were not made very far apart they go to their dad's house they show off the ring her dad asks does this mean you're moving back here and then he gives her her mom's wedding dress which we heard her talk shit about in an earlier scene we did and we also know that Catherine Heigl has an unhealthy attachment to her parents wedding yeah yes and so she really cherished that dress and wanted it. And she wanted the the, the venue that her parents had yeah. and all the things. Essentially, Malin Ackerman plans the wedding that she wanted, at least in her fantasy world, mm-hmm. yeah. because she does choose something different later, which I do really like. This is also, I don't know if you guys... N- Todd, you might know, because you've been married once before. After you get married, <laughs> they... Pre- That's not a dig, Mikey! This is just fact. Yes. As Kevin tells us, 50% of weddings don't work out. Paige and I have both been married. One of us figured it out. You guys probably know already which one. 100% of Todd's marriages haven't worked out. (laughs) 
Well, that's why he's got to have another one so he can get that 50-50 Got to get those numbers up, baby. <laughs> get the numbers up. <gasps> now, the, re- the reason I brought it up, I don't know if you guys know, after you get married, you pay like a couple hundred bucks or something like that, and they preserve your wedding dress. So it's not just something you like keep in a closet. I'm sure maybe some people do, but they actually just like clean it really, really carefully, and then they like seal it. So mine is in like a box kind of thing where you can kind of see the pattern on the top of it. Yeah. But it's meant to preserve it for years and years and years and years and years so you can hand it down to people. So that's why they probably still have her mom's dress, although they just have it in a garment bag. Yeah, it's like on a hanger, though. They didn't do that for this movie. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. So this is one step too far for Katherine Heigl. So she finally goes out for drinks with Kevin. And she tells him all about how her sister's getting married. And he says, before you? And she says, that's not the problem. Which is everyone's first question when she's like, oh, my sister's getting married. And they're like, oh, because she's younger? Is that a thing? I've never heard of that actually being a thing. It's a thing for people who are unrealistic and weird. Okay. I, like, I, right. I would not have been upset if my sister had gotten married first. I think my youngest brother is probably closer to getting married than I am. And uh, yeah, it is upsetting. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, Mikey. I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> but what she says is the problem is she says that Tess is going to want her to do everything and I can't say no. And this is where he tries to teach her how to say no for the first time. Which is sort of effective, right? He does teach her how to say no. He does. Yeah, a little bit. We cut to her working on the wedding with Tess the next day where Tess is picking her bridesmaids and she picks cousin Julie and cousin Mimi or she chooses not to pick cousin Mimi. Because she's super pregnant yeah. and it'll throw off aesthetics. And then she picks Casey, which is Judy Greer, who she does not know <laughs> to be a bridesmaid just because she thinks it will look good. Yeah, because Judy Greer is like pretty. Judy Greer is yeah. really pretty. I agree. She I is. agree. Yeah, no disagreement. Uh, it's just a crazy way to pick the people who are standing next to you on your very important day. That's what I'm going to pick. I'm going to be like, I need some handsome fellas mikey mikey clearly i'll do it it's fine i'll be there sure i'll wear a suit uh, <laughs> <laughs> i would pick Paige because she would require less layers of clothes i'm like todd we said no <laughs> vest with this tux why not it's so classy mikey but you didn't need three of them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and why are you wearing the hoodie underneath the jacket <laughs> so this is where we find out that the commitments column, which is the wedding column that Katherine Heigl reads, is doing a special on the wedding and that the wedding is going to be at the boathouse, which is where their parents got married. And what Tess says is that they were booked out for 18 months, but she called. And on the ninth time that she called, they had a cancellation because the bride slept with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and so they'll be getting married in three weeks, which is insane. Yeah. And Catherine Heigl is visibly upset. Well, and then her sister just says, like, normally you can't get married this quickly, but I know I have you and you'll do it. So thanks. Yeah. Well, she she also says, I know that this is the wedding you wanted. And is that a problem? And Catherine Heigl says, no, I just didn't know that you wanted it too. If it is, I just want you to be happy. And then we cut to the yoga scene with her and Judy Greer. I love this scene. Yeah, and she's basically just yelling expletives while doing yoga. It's perfect. I love that. And I, Okay, so Judy Greer is amazing, but this scene is great because she actually does give some solid advice 
and then mm-hmm. sort of does relent to help a friend by saying, fine, I'll do it because she's your sister and I love you sort of thing, right? I don't right. really know your sister. Well, she starts off and she's like, your sister's a huge bitch. Well, and she's yes. not necessarily no, she, wrong She says there. she calls her a selfish whore. <laughs> yeah. And she, she says, your sister's a selfish whore. Namaste. <laughs> yeah. See, Judy Greer's character is my type. I'm, I'm cool with that. She's hilarious. Judy Greer's her. character in Archer is my type. There you wow. go. Yeah. She, that's, you want crazy? To give you crazy. Judy Greer finishes when she agrees to be a bridesmaid. She says, if she crosses me, I will kick her ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the yoga instructor like rings the gong at her like very passive aggressively. And then Judy yes. Greer goes, I mean, there's no sign that says no talking. Think about <laughs> how good of a shape Judy Greer must be in to talk this much during yoga. Yeah. Yeah. This is another movie where I don't think there's any fat people. Well, I mean, yeah, Paige, you mentioned this in the intro episode. There's not a lot of representation of that type Uh, of person. Yeah. And that's why their wedding sucks, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So the next thing we get to, she is talking to a guy who makes cakes and uses way too much fondant, and fondant doesn't taste good. Fondant tastes awful. Fat people know what tastes good. Listen to us. Yeah. So she essentially gets a referral discount on this cake. She, like, strong arms him into getting getting the cake. She's like, "Um, I brought a lot of business in here, so... Go ahead and make it and give me a discount. Yep. You can do anything and we know it and I would like a discount, please, is what she says. And he's just like, you know what? Fine. This is where James Marsden shows up to the cake appointment to talk to Tess about the story. And this is where we realize that Catherine Heigl is his number one fan. And now she's finding out that the person who built her fantasy world hates weddings. Yeah. Oh. And also she's learning what a pseudonym is. Yeah. What I thought thought was really funny is that she was like, you lied to me. And I'm like, no, technically he told you the truth. I know. He lied to everybody else. He lied to everybody yeah. else. But she is yeah. insanely mad at him for something that she should not be upset about at all. It's because... It's breaking her fantasy world. And she even says at this point, she says, it's like finding out that my favorite love song was written about a sandwich. Which I think that's a funny joke. Is it? He shows up at her house for an interview and she won't let him in initially. It just blows my mind that she is like in love with Mark Twain, but doesn't realize that Samuel Clemens exists. Yes. Does that make sense? But she still hates him. I Mm -hmm. I just don't understand that. Well, it's because it doesn't fit into her fantasy world. That's like... That's the thing. He comes into her house and he says, how do you feel about Tess's whirlwind romance? And she says, couldn't be happier. Taught her to steam flounder in the dishwasher. Practically raised her. Is that a thing? Can you steam flounder in the dishwasher? It is a thing, but it's not like your preferred way to steam flounder. And if you're like a latchkey kid, why are your parents buying you flounder and not craft macaroni and cheese? Like, Who leaves their children alone and expects them to pull off flounder? (laughs) (laughs) And if you're going to kill and eat Little Mermaid characters, go with the crab. What was the flounder's name? Flounder. Flounder. He was pretty pudgy. That would have been a real good fish. Throw him in the dishwasher. Let's have a time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Heavy wash. He notices the dresses. And this is where we get the dress montage. We get 27 dresses montage. This is the first time in the movie I felt like anyone had fun. Yes, but this is also where I noticed that he had pitched the human interest piece on her at this point conservatively six months ago and is just now getting around to writing it. That's why I thought this thing took place over like a month. I swear to God. Some of them are bad. Some of them are really, really bad. 
Um, he takes photos of all the dresses. She does have a Southern Belle one, and he says, people do not have Gone with the Wind weddings, and she says, I have been to three. Okay, that is a red flag. I love Gone with the Wind. I love Rhett Butler. That dude's a man's man. That is a red flag, though. Like, a Gone with the Wind lending is not okay. Here's how they save that scene. Because they cut to the wedding, and the women are in, like, Southern Belle dresses, but the guys are just in regular suits. And these dresses are not only horrendous, but they are racially appropriative in some cases. The one was just a kimono. The Well, the kimono one, and then it cuts to that wedding where she's ducking down for the pictures so they're all the same height. Yeah. Oh, that was the L.A. wedding. That was the short no, dress no, no, wedding. No, 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 no. There's one where she's in Japan in the purple kimono. Oh, my God. And she is ducking down to be the same height as them, which is... It cuts to her bowing down oh. to him, and then he bows to her taking the picture, and I was like... This movie's a little racist. Oh, my God. But I... then they do cut to the L.A. wedding, which was hilarious. Yeah, because it's a super short skirt, and she's always trying to hide it. Not only is it a sh- super short skirt, but the bride is, like, 20, marrying, like, a 60-year-old leathery dude. And <laughs> oh everyone God. is in, like, lace and, like, spandex, and it's so crazy. Uh, but yeah, that's that's accurate. As an LA native, that's an accurate LA wedding. <laughs> well, that's insane. All right. Uh, then they have the wedding on horseback, which is pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, there's the underwater wedding, and then he finishes the montage with twenty-seven dresses. He says the name of the movie. Yeah, I love it. And he lectures her about using up valuable closet, valuable closet space, which is true. Yeah, and. He kind of is like, these are gross dresses, and she counters back with, it's their day, not mine. And he says, what about you and your needs? She responds with, someday it will be my day, and they will be there for me. Right. Which is the saddest part of this movie. It is very sad. And it also comes right as she confirms that she is Jesus. Oh, yeah. She does say first, I don't have needs. I'm Jesus. Yeah. Which we already know she's a little mentally ill. Like, I don't know. <laughs> this is not appropriate for someone who's mentally ill to say. We have a running list over on Cult Podcast of everyone who has claimed to be Jesus that we refer to pretty frequently. Hey, th- did I make that cut? Because in the sacrament no. episode... <laughs> There is a reference to me being called Jesus. Well, someone else called you Jesus. You didn't call yourself Jesus. Well, that's fair. Okay, I'm a little disappointed I'm not on that list, but that's fine. That's fine. We can talk about it off the podcast. So she says, someday it will be my day. They will be there for me, which basically implies that the only reason she's doing a lot of this wedding stuff is that someday she can have a good wedding. Yeah. It's real dark. It is very (laughs) sad. real dark sentiments. The next scene, she shows up at Malin Ackerman's apartment, which is George's apartment, because now Malin Ackerman is basically living there. And she says, I need your registry list. And Malin doesn't want to let her in because she finds out that Malin literally has Pedro working as a housekeeper. Yeah. Yeah, but she's paying him during his big big brother, big sister time. I felt weird about this because... He is being paid for a service that he seems super psyched He's to be child. providing. I know. I child. get that. I get that. But I like mowed lawns as a kid. Like I would do anything I could to like make a little bit of money and buy something stupid. I also think she's telling George that she's cleaned the apartment. Oh, I do too. I, I think she's a bad person. So she sends her sister to register for her. 
which is weird. It's so dumb. Aren't the, the couple supposed to do that together? Yes, because you're picking out like the gifts that you want people to buy for you. You're you're picking out the things that you're going to use in your house for the next 10, 15, 20 years. You're picking out the things that you're going to serve Thanksgiving with. Yeah. You're picking out the stuff that you're going to set out on Christmas morning for breakfast with your kids. These are important things to pick out. I mean, they're still just things, but that's typically what it is. But what is this store that they're registering oh, in? Oh, this is definitely like West Elm kind of style. It's not. Oh, I thought it was like a Pier 1 Imports. Like, I thought it not was like even. a low rent. Yeah, okay. It it looks like a thrift store. <laughs> I mean, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like a West Elm. I mean, I can't tell the difference between a West Elm and a thrift store at this point anyway. I think that this scene was written for a department store because they go in order of a department store where they do kitchen stuff because she does the casserole dish, which, by the way, is a Le Creuset Heritage casserole dish. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> then they move to vases and then the rooster-shaped umbrella holder that will hold all of George's umbrellas. Right. But this store is just like a ramshackle, cobbled-together <laughs> store. No one would register there. I don't even know how they have scanners, because it's clearly a Goodwill. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. They were actually buying all those things, and then they checked out at the end, they're like, that'll be $27. <laughs> real talk if you see Le Creuset at a thrift store buy that shit but this is where she like cold reads what happened to him because yes. he's like talking bad about weddings again and she's like oh what are you like some sad single guy who like got cheated on by his wife and got divorced or whatever well before she says that he says I think you want a wedding and not a marriage yeah which is some harsh truths and you could tell it hit a nerve. And she counters back with, oh, what? Did you have a fancy wedding? And she left. And yes, left for his best friend. Does she apologize? I just remember like the scene basically ending at that point. No, she does. Yeah. She she says, I'm sorry. Do you want to find the ugliest stuff and register tests for it? Yeah. Which is why you register for your own shit. But this is the part where he goes back and talks to Jane, his editor, and she's like, we're running your story on Saturday or whatever that next day is that they're going to run mm -hmm. the paper. And he's like, give me one more week. Give me one more week. I want to talk to her about it before we do. Right. And he thinks he's got a week. Catherine Heigl and George go to the catering appointment. Yeah, Kevin shows up at the catering appointment and sees that Catherine is like super into George. Well, before that, during this catering scene is when George asks Jane what her favorite part about weddings That's is. That's right, yeah. And she gives him the answer of when the bride is walking in, that's when I look at the groom. And then Kevin shows up. He sees the catering appointment. He understands that Catherine Heigl is clearly in love with the boss. Yeah. And so now he inserts himself into the rest of their day. It's a real Kevin move. And we cut to her driving with him in the rain, clearly at the end of the day of whatever they've done that day. Right. And he says, I saw it the second I saw you two. You're planning your sister's wedding to the man you're in love with. And I ruined an afternoon of you pining over someone you can't be with. Which is right. all true. I mean, I like Kevin's communication style. Get rid of his like stalkerish behavior. I kind of like how he like kind of throws it all out there. I do like that he and Judy Greer are the only people in this movie that give her 
flat out harsh ass truth. They're the only honest people. Yeah. They're and and he's a stalker. So like really, it's just <laughs> Judy Greer, and then he has flashes of brilliance. Right. So he's trying to get her to drive slower because she's driving like a maniac in the rain and they are clearly just in a car and someone is pouring buckets of water on the top of the car yes because you see water rushing down the windshield but no actual water droplets hitting the windshield okay todd uh, whatever there is a saying called it's raining buckets okay (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that's what they mean yeah i think you misunderstood that yeah, they do hydroplane. They slide down a hill. The car's okay, but neither of them have a cell phone signal, which I thought was like, do you remember when you couldn't get cell phone signals and they're like holding them out of the car? I like that they were holding them out to get water damaged as they're trying yes. to get signal. Yeah. Uh, So they go to the nearest bar, which I don't know how far this bar was because there was nothing around them when they skidded off the road. Or no, it didn't look like it. There is some privacy where they skidded off the road because they about to bone in that car. Yeah. Well, yeah. but they're walkable to both coffee and a bar. Yeah. Maybe they're just exhibitionists. We're all three drinks from it. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so they go to the bar. They relax. She says that they're going to have one drink and one drink turns into many, 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 many drinks. Like they do. This part of the movie is what why people like the movie. Yes. I think from this part of the movie on. The best part of the movie was this this whole part. And they could have made a movie where Kevin was a good character if they just took the article out. Like it's all unneeded conflict. If they took her sister out. This is also a better movie. It, it's either or. It's got to be either or story. Mm-hmm. So they get super drunk. She's grilling him about all of the weddings that he's covered. He claims he doesn't remember. Uh, she asks him what he likes about weddings. And he says, when the bride's coming down the aisle, I look at the groom. Yes, he does. But before she, he gives a real answer, he says, open bar. I like the open bar. <laughs> and if you look at the guy who's in his close-up oh! over his shoulder, that guy goes, Oh, yeah. Like, he, he gives this one, like, yeah. Todd, the guy next to them sitting at the bar reacts to everything they say. I know. I love it so much. He looks so annoyed the whole time. And I was like. You need to watch that scene again just for the guy who's over Marsden's shoulder. It's amazing. Oh, that's hilarious. Because he's just like, he is just like, they start like flirting and he's like, no. <laughs> it's so good. He really does give a stellar extra performance. <laughs> yeah, like that's it's amazing. so funny. He's at best a featured extra. Like he's making no <laughs> money. He just he has a story to tell. I was next to Jay Marsden in the scene, but he is crushing. I it. mean, they start si- singing Benny and Benny and the Jets or whatever, and he's he's literally like, "What the fuck." <laughs> I do love that we learn in this scene that all it takes is one Elton John song from, to take a boring bar and turn it into Coyote Ugly in like two minutes. Yes. <laughs> well, right before they get to that, she specifically grills him about the Keller wedding. Yes. Oh, my God. And I love that they set this up because of how it pays off. But we'll get there. Yes. And the Keller wedding was like the son had to come back from Afghanistan. It was like this whole like yeah. really moving story. Then... When he pretends not to remember, she's like, ooh, I like to be edgy and sexy. And he's like, ooh, did you call me sexy? And this is what kicks off their Benny and the Jets. Yeah. Horrible, well, <laughs> horrible rendition of, of Benny and the Jets. Because they're like doing a bad lip reading version of Benny and the Jets where they're like singing the wrong words. But it's super yes. charming. I like it. I think it's great. It's all right. I really like that song and I don't like hearing it that way. <laughs> yeah, I like hearing it done correctly, but I, I think it's cute. 
It's a fun, yeah. like, we're about to bone moment. They jump up on the bar. They're singing it on the bar. They jump down off the bar. They're clearly very, very drunk. And he says, I remember the Keller wedding. I cried like a baby. But it's delivered like I wrote you every day for a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wrote yeah, you yeah. every day for a year. <laughs> And then they just start making out. Which I would like to take a moment to say that alcohol negates consent. But yes, they do start making out. And then we cut to them having that sweet, sweet car sex. Oh, yeah. The first time you have sex with someone, you're doing it in your dad's old Volvo. And it is. It's played as awkward and not really all that sexy. And then they cut away from it. This movie has a problem with sex, clearly. It does. I do like that when they lean Away from the like steering wheel, that's when we hear the horn. Whoever directed this scene has never been in a car. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we cut to the next morning. He's brought her coffee and she's like, I never do this. And he's like, yeah, you said that the whole time. And I was like, maybe that means stop. Yeah. She was drunk. If a girl is saying, hey, I never do this and she's drunk, you need to stop. So uh, we cut to there in a diner for breakfast and a guy remembers them from the night before. Yeah. And he's like, Benny and the Jets. And she doesn't remember. So she's like, oh, I sang Benny and the Jets last night. And he's like, yeah, you did. And then someone else comes up and is like, oh, hey, it's you. And she's like, yeah, Benny and the Jets. And she's like, no, you're that girl from the paper, realizing that they've run the story. And because every woman reads the commitment section of this newspaper, right? of course she's like famous. Yes. And she slaps him which I think is appropriate. Oh, yeah, appropriate. Oh, man. This is the second slap in the movie because Judy Greer slapped the shit out of her earlier. That's true. Kevin Kevin did try to delay the article and not get it published. He did, and he did want to talk to her about it beforehand. And when he confronts Jan from the office, she's like, well, I make that decision. You don't. Yeah, and he does say, he's like, she got ambushed. She didn't know it was coming. But part of me is like, you've had months. Yeah. You have been stalking this woman for months to use her for this story. And at no point were you like, by the way, I'm writing a story on this. You don't have her permission to use her image or right. her photos. You don't have her consent. You don't have any sort of moral ground for this to be okay. Yeah. And then Catherine Heigl gets home. And Tess is flipping out about what the story says about her, which, by the way, is completely accurate. Yeah. yeah. And like this kind of personality type does, she's making everything about her when clearly mm -hmm. it's a much bigger deal in Catherine's life. Yep. We cut to the office the next day. Judy Greer gives her a little bit of a ribbing about it. Yeah. I love Judy Greer, though, because she's like she's giving her a little bit of shit. But she's also like, hey, I'm here if you need any. Like, she's very supportive. Yeah, this is also where her boss finds out about it, and he is a completely decent dude about it. Yeah, he's great about it. Yeah, he's in the article, too, uh, but he says, he took advantage of you, don't worry about it, nobody even reads it. So true. And at this point, the drama around this article largely disappears from the movie. Yeah, it's gone. It's a non-issue. It's a speed bump for like three minutes in a two-hour movie. Yeah. Yeah. So the next scene we get to is the dress fitting. 
where Oof. we find out that Tess has now given her a script so that she can only say things that Tess has approved at their, um, it looks like the rehearsal dinner. It is the rehearsal dinner, yeah. It's for the slideshow portion that Catherine has yeah. also been assigned to put together. Right, because she has all the family photos. Right. But it's in this scene that we find out that Tess has altered their mother's dress and not just altered it, but basically yeah. shredded it to use a couple pieces of lace and that's it. And this is Katherine Heigl's breaking point. I love this because she like like leaves and is clearly mad and Tess sort of like waddles after her in the wedding dress. And she's like, she says, how could how could you do this to me? You're my sister. Oh, yeah. And she said that was yesterday. Today, you're just some bitch that broke my heart and cut up my mother's wedding dress. And I yes. was like, fuck, yeah, Sick let's burn. get this. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was great. But here's what doesn't make sense. I would not put her in charge of the uh, slideshow after that. Yes. Oh, thank yeah. Thank you. After that, you're no longer maid of honor. You're uninvited. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. So she gets to the rehearsal dinner and she's wearing this black cocktail dress that means that she means business. Yeah. Uh, she and- has definitely become Catherine Hyde. Like she is evil <laughs> in this moment. And yes. I loved it. She's eating pigs in a blanket and trying to force feed them to Tess, which is great. I love that. Tess is like, you're only going to say what I wrote, right? Which is a clever turn of phrase because she does only say what she wrote. Yes. But she made no such claims about the slideshow. Right. Oh, oh, we should also say that she threatened to tell Tess. Yes. I'm going to tell George all of the lies that you've been telling him. Yeah, and does give Tess the opportunity to own up to those lies. Opportunity, ultimatum. The pig in the blanket is the test. Yeah, I think so too. She gives her an ultimatum. You you tell him or I will. So she goes into the slideshow, and the slideshow is effectively very nice pictures of George and then every horrible picture of Tess that she could find. Yeah, there's like pictures of Tess like just eating like ribs. There's a, yes. a heavily implied threesome photo. There's like some yes. horrible With photos your, of Tess. Euro trash boyfriends. And then the final one is her literally in just a pile of ribs. Yeah. At first, this is why you don't piss off your bridesmaids. Then Pedro gets to say a few words and he's like, Tess is going to help me start my cleaning business. And everyone's like, oh, no, she's been using him as a slave. And then (laughs) George is like, I feel like everything I know about you is a lie. And she's like, those pictures are really old. And he's like, your engagement ring was on when you were eating ribs. Yeah. So it means that it happened recently. And George walks out. Well, and Tess runs after him. And then Judy is talking to Catherine and Judy is amazing. She's like, listen, I understand that you like reached a breaking point, but this is beyond that. She says, you know, you could have told him the truth face to face. Yeah. But she also says she's like, it's very entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> she's like loved watching it. Yeah. Uh, but she says, uh, you should have told him face to face. And Catherine Heigl says, I just did that. And she says, what you did was unleash 20 years of repressed feelings in one night. If it was the right thing to do, you'd feel better right now. Right. And clearly she does not. And then Tess comes back around and says the wedding is off. Kevin is there because he's covering the wedding. And she says, you used me. He says, can you let me explain? And she says, I just destroyed my life. And he says, I thought it was amazing. Yeah, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you (laughs) because I am also a crazy person. Right. Because all of the good advice judy greer just gave her out the window completely gone because he's like yeah this was super great 
And he basically says that I knew this day was going to be hard for you and I wanted to be there for you because you deserve more than what you've settled for. You deserve to be taken care of for a change, which is a weird thing to say to a person, except that in this case, it does kind of make sense. I mean, it's weird to say without knowing them that well. Yeah. Well, at this point, he he gets her a Palm Pilot, which I actually thought was very sweet. Oh, I thought it was a Blackberry because Palm Pilots, it's whatever it is, Palm but, Pilots yeah. did not have um, like cellular technology. They just had like organizers. You're right. So yeah, it's, I think it, it's a Blackberry because he actually calls it later. And this is where I think we start to see Kevin's next level genius because mm-hmm. he changed the ringtone on that phone to yep. something that would remind her of him. Yes. Yeah, we'll get there. So he gets her a, a Blackberry. She gets home to her house with all of Tess's flowers that she's left up because they were from George. Yeah. Uh, we cut to the next day. James Marsden's at work. The story did really well. He gets a raise and Jan from the office is like, well, you got what you wanted, right? And clearly no, because clearly he wants <laughs> Catherine Heigl and that's been his plan all along. I honestly got the impression that he was super thrilled to be off the uh, wedding announcement desk or whatever he was on, you know? <laughs> Yeah. He was like, okay, dope. Cool, 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 cool. Let's do this. So the next day, we cut to the dad's hardware store. Yeah. yeah. He's invited Catherine Heigl, and he wants her to work things out with Tess, and he has also invited Tess. And they have a like fight in the middle of the hardware store where essentially all of their issues from the last 20 years come out where Tess is like, you ruined my life. And Catherine Heigl is like, I've spent my entire life making sure your life is good. And then Tess counters back with, I didn't need you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You chose to do that. Stop doing it. And, and which is, again, good advice. <laughs> Way too late in the movie. Yeah. Um, but she does say, if you didn't have to take care of me all the time, you would just be my sister. So maybe just do that. I honestly thought this scene was, I think, very, I think, somewhat unrealistic, maybe. Yes, but I yeah. thought it was sweet on yeah, some the, level. The message was yeah. good. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly, Mikey. Yeah. We cut back to her apartment. She takes all the dresses out of the closet. Her phone rings, and she says, yes, of course, I'll be right there. She shows up to her office in a very fancy dress and says, oh, I guess you did need me to find you a date for this benefit, because... I'm guessing there was a line cut out somewhere where she was supposed to find him a date for a benefit before he met her sister. No, we had, that that line is still in there. In the very beginning, when they're he's okay. like she's being set up as his assistant, one of the things they establish is that he has a YMCA benefit he's going to, and the one thing he doesn't need for her to do is get him a date. But she needs to write him a speech, make sure he has a tux, that kind of stuff. But like, how far in advance are they planning that? Yeah, they, they're, they're he's planning that YMCA benefit a year and a half in advance. Anyway, so she is helping. I want to say she's helping tie his tie again. No, she's just looking through stuff on his desk and they're talking. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah. But he says, you did me a favor. I was about to marry someone I barely knew. And he basically says, you know, forget the whole thing between him and Tess. I need you to print out a copy of the speech. And he says, you never say no, which I love, which is the most troubling sentence in this entire film. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he means it like a bad no. way. No, he I means it like an employer-employee relationship sort of way. It means he knows she has no yeah. boundaries and he takes advantage of it. And I would say this is the only time we really truly see that side of him in this movie. Yeah. Agree. But it does get super weird in the next 30 seconds because she's yeah. like, you know what? I quit. 
She heads for the door and then she turns around and gives him a bunch of like, I stayed in this job way too long because I loved you and it just like it just didn't work out or whatever. And then yeah. he decides to go kiss her, which I thought was yeah. insane. Yeah. It's super insane. And then she's like, yeah, I didn't feel anything. Not a damn thing. But let's try again. But I feel like this is also when you set up a fantasy world, you're creating a person that doesn't exist. That right. kiss will never live up to your expectations. It will never. This is something people do with celebrities all the time where they're like, I know that person because I've watched them and whatever or listened to whatever, done whatever. You don't actually know that person. You've created a version in your head. Yeah. And the same is true for her. So it does not live up. And this is when her phone rings with Benny and the Jets because he set her phone to ring Benny and the Jets. He's covering his last wedding. She hails a taxi. It's the same taxi driver. She informs him that she only has one dress. And he's like, oh, damn it. Yeah, which I, I mean, that's not a good look, taxi guy. Like, no. listen, you got a free show the first time. Yeah, that's not. It wasn't a free show. It was $20 a glance. Wow. Okay. Okay. Sorry, Mikey. Uh, the wedding is on a boat. Uh, she jumps and makes it in heels, which is amazing. Oh, I thought she was barefoot. I thought she tripped. <laughs> She's in heels. She lands and then skitter slides on the yes, heels not... and then stands and then trips. Yeah, she falls off the stage or not maybe not stage, but that's where you like walk on from the pier. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As she's walking through this wedding trying to find him, the bride notices her. Because again, everyone reads the wedding section of this paper. So she's famous amongst women. Let's just say BuzzFeed picked it up or something. <laughs> that would be more realistic. That would be more realistic. Uh, so the bride gets her to make a wedding speech. And what I do like is she starts it out basically by saying, you were right and I just didn't want to hear it. Yeah. Which is accurate. Very. But then she says, you're not what I imagined, but fighting with you is the best thing that ever happened to me. Red flag. Red <laughs> flag. This is the second movie that tries to normalize fighting as a couple. I I'll say Sweet Home Alabama's worse, but this is trying to normalize something that should not be normalized. Yes. Uh, and then she says, I'll go now. And I was like, where? You're on a boat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where, where are you going to go? What, are you going to go for a swim, you idiot? <laughs> it's insane but when she's on stage she also says i think there's a very good chance i'm falling in love with you which i yes. thought maybe be more definitive at the end of the movie yeah, like, like, i don't know i mean i think it's good they take their time at this point <laughs> that's fair all right all that's right fair. mikey they they kiss uh there's a title card that says one year later uh we open on his co-worker and judy greer getting ready for the wedding uh, kind of sassily talking to each other. The co-worker was Jack Donaghy's assistant, and I yes! was so happy yes! to see him in this. Every si I just wanted him so badly to just be like, Mr. Donaghy. I loved, I loved him so much. I'm sorry. And their flirting was, like, appropriate and normal. Yeah. Judy knew who she was going to be staying two days with at the end of this wedding. Yes. George is there with Pedro. They see Tess, who is a bridesmaid. And Pedro is like, maybe I could get with Tess. I'm a year older. I'm a year older. I have my own cleaning <laughs> business. I'm a successful entrepreneur. <laughs> George and Tess kind of reconcile. And I'm like, he made out with her sister. Paige, they didn't reconcile. Apparently in this year, George suffered a head injury and forgot <laughs> everything that happened before this moment because she introduces herself again to him. She introduces herself honestly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's single. 
She's single. It's a wedding. Open bar. Yeah. She's an ex. We've all been there. <laughs> Mikey, I have not been there, but it sounds like it was fun. In the interim, in in the year prior, he made out with her sister yeah. after she confessed her love for him, which is very weird. Yeah. That's a weird thing. Uh, but we are finally getting Katherine Heigl's day. We get to see a shot of James Marsden as she's coming down the aisle. And this is where I kind of cried a little bit, even though this movie's bad. Um, okay, let's talk about this. Because they set up this, I want to see the look of my wife coming down the aisle or whatever. He gives a look yeah. like he dropped a penny in the in the sun and he's trying to find the penny. Yeah, he's there, like, he's in the sun. They're on a beach wedding. Like, of course, it's very bright. He's not even smiling. He's like, and he looks around. He's like, huh? <laughs> he can't see her because it's too bright and it's like it's just too much sun in his eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's an, it's it's not a great look. But then I was like, I remember when my husband when I came in, and I was just like, <laughs> Paige. Full disclosure, I started crying when she said, I think there's a good chance I'm falling in love with you and did not Aww. stop until the end of the movie. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, I didn't come close to crying. Now we pan out and this is where we see all of the 27 dresses and they all allegedly showed up for her on that day because right. she was there for them on their day. But I think we have a couple alternate endings. Yes. Yeah. So I think personally, because there is a very big definitive break after her actual bridesmaid before the 27 bridesmaids, I think that that's all a figment of her imagination. Ooh, I'm going to argue that everything from the slideshow on is a delusion that she is having in a facility. <laughs> oh, I love that. So we pan and we see the dresses and then we cut to her just sitting at a cafeteria table and she's drawn out all the dresses <laughs> on pieces of toilet paper. <laughs> all of them are brown. We... we all <laughs> <laughs> we have three really different perspectives because the whole time in this scene, I was like, man, I'd love to be a groomsman in a, in a wedding where the, the bride had 27 bridesmaids. Especially when there's only like three yes! groomsmen or That's whatever. Yeah, those numbers are real good for but you. They're all they're all married. All of her bridesmaids are married. I bet some of those did not work out. I yeah, mean, that's what are the true, odds on true. that? We already know because the movie establishes that fifty percent of marriages don't work. So there is at least thirteen of them that are single. Maybe fourteen. But you gotta know that it's like <laughs> the kimono and the L.A. wedding and the Gone with the Wind wedding. It's not the like passable wedding dresses. It's the wild ones. I I don't care what they're wearing. Paige. I'm definitely going for the wild ones. I care how it looks crumpled on my floor. <laughs> oh, man. I'm definitely going after Gone to the Wind Wedding. I'll be like, I do declare. Oh, I do <laughs> declare that body looking quite nice. Mm. I am definitely going to invade your southern border. <laughs> what is this, a Ouija board? <laughs> yeah, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really good at like Confederate sexual humor. <laughs> it's a really small niche, but man, you crush it. <laughs> and, and that's that movie. movie. So I kind of peppered our financial facts throughout this time, in part because a lot of them are the same as the How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, where her apartment is probably at least three grand and she's making anywhere from 40 to 80K Not enough. Uh, a year in New York. 
maybe more, not enough. People spend an average of two to six hundred dollars on a wedding if you're a part of the wedding party, depending on the wedding. Uh, so if she's attending 12 weddings a year, uh, that is a lot of money. She's yeah, spending upwards a- of $7,200 a year on just on weddings. weddings, not including flights to Japan, which are like three grand. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. if you're embezzling, um, it's fine. <laughs> True. I do like the idea that she's yeah. embezzling. Now, James Marsden, he is an editor, which means that he is in the 50 to 80 K range as well in New York. Oh, man, they don't make enough to live there. They don't. The other thing, too, when we see George's house, that's like the penthouse. And he's the CEO of his own company. But unless the company is like the most successful company in New York, he probably can't afford that place either. (laughs) So do you guys quickly want to talk some box office? Yes. All right. Cool. So what do you think the budget for this movie was? It came out in 2008. Uh, I want to say this movie cost about 20 grand. 20 grand? No, I'm sorry. Twenty million. <laughs> that makes more sense, Mikey. What do you think? I'm gonna say twenty million and one dollar. All right, so Mikey Boo. wins, but only because he was a dick on prices. Right? <laughs> the budget was thirty million dollars. What? Wow. Yeah, I know, right? It was thirty million dollars. So this opened on January eighteenth, two thousand eight. And it was number two at the box office when it came out. It got beat by Cloverfield. Ooh, the first one? Yeah, the first one. It made $40 okay. million dollars its its first week out. 27 Damn. Dresses still made $23 million, which ain't nothing. And 27 Dresses beat The Bucket List, Juno, and First Sunday. That was the top five oh, that week. Juno. I know, right? Talk about a movie that made me sob buckets. Yeah. Yeah. But ultimately, this movie did very, very well domestically and internationally. It made $76.8 million domestically, $83.4 million internationally. So it made $160 million. Correct me if I'm wrong. We have yet to encounter a film on this podcast that was not a mega hit. Yeah, I think they've all made quite a bit of money. And it made another $46 million in domestic DVD and Blu-ray sales. So it made over $200 million. Every sorority house in college had a copy of this DVD. Oh, man, we should give them another. (laughs) (laughs) But that's box office. So do you guys think they're still together? Absolutely not. Yeah, same. I think they broke up shortly after this movie ended. I think he found a new person to stalk, Mm -hmm. and she realized that he had been putting her on a pedestal and had unrealistic expectations about their relationship just like she did, and now she's off trying to find a more healthy relationship. Oh, for me, it was much darker. For me, this became season one of you. Oh. Because James Marsden is not a healthy individual in this movie. I think they're together. (laughs) Okay. Because of uh, the title card that says one year later. Oh, I mean, yeah, but they got married. Sure. We know they got married. I'm just going to say heavy therapy during that year. Okay. All right. I'm going to say that both of them, both of them confronted their demons and they were like, we're really have some issues and like a lot of bad things. And they went to therapy and then they, uh, they healthily got married. I hope you're right, Mikey. I'm trying to be an optimist for this podcast. That's the world I want to live in. But we are I, on the darkest timeline because he tells her on the altar, is this, this is this what you pictured? And she was like, no, it's even better. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was so crying at that point. <laughs> yeah, I was crying at that point. I do think it's interesting to note her wedding is different than because she clearly wanted to get married where yes. her parents did. That's not where her parents got married. 
So she had a different wedding. So maybe she did go through enough therapy yeah. to to decide things for herself and to develop a new. Maybe there wasn't personal growth. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe you're right. The title Mikey. card does it. But I would like the, the movie I want to see is the title card to the wedding. Oh, yeah. So this week we watched 27 Dresses. It was Paige's pick. So next mm-hmm. week it's my pick. And I think we should watch Fifty Shades of Grey. Fuck Yes Absolutely <laughs> yes I cannot wait I know I've seen it Oh you have I have not seen it I've seen it Of course it. Oh, I've, I've heard it. about it I've seen I'm it I'm super excited to experience it with you guys I didn't read the books <laughs> But yeah I'm super excited about it I was walking with Natalie my girlfriend Because we walk every morning And I was like what fucking movie could I do And then we sort of landed on this one And I, I, was, I got so excited I Can I tell you I have read all of the books. Oh, my God. I have seen the first two movies. I don't think I ever actually saw the third one. And I saw the first two movies in theaters with friends on Valentine's Day where we got super drunk and saw these with just bags of candy. And it was the most fun we have had in a movie in yes. so long. Yes. So then we did it again the next year when the second one came out. Yes. So much so that a friend had moved out of state and flew back for it. Well, this is fantastic. If you thought the lucky one was nuts, yes. you have no idea. You have no idea I'm the so Pandora's excited. box you oh have God. opened, and I am thrilled. I feel like this podcast is going in a dark way. I love it. Love I can't it. wait. So, guys, your homework is to get wine drunk and yes. watch Fifty Shades of Grey. Here's a tip. Get a bunch of root beer and a bunch of rum and just, like, Mix that shit jungle juice style. Mainline <laughs> oh my that. God. Get a giant bag of Sour Patch watermelon and a giant bag of Swedish fish and then put them in the same bag so the Swedish fish gets sour and the watermelon's not so sour. That's how we did it. And we rode the train that way and then saw this movie. <laughs> oh, I love everything about this. So, guys, oh that is your homework God. for next week. <laughs> I cannot wait. I'm so excited. That's so You have funny. no idea. I'm so glad you like my pick. I cannot wait for the texts as you watch this movie. <laughs> if you like listening to my voice, you can hear me on Cult Podcast as well. And if you like listening to all of our voices, yeah. you can also hear us on Horror Virgin. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to follow us on social, we are at Romancing the Pod Show, right? Yeah, Romancing the Pod Show everywhere but Twitter. Twitter is Romancing Pod Show SHO because they have a character limit. Yeah. If you want to follow me, I'm at Paige Wesley on Twitter or at Rampage Wesley on Instagram and TikTok. I am on all of the socials at MRandolph24. And if you want to follow me on all the socials, I am at Todd J. Awesome. And join our Facebook group. Oh, and I'll read a review. Oh, yeah. So, guys, if you want to have Mikey read your review, leave us a five star review for Romancing the Pod. And we'll have Mikey read it for you. So this is uh, Beetle Dot uh, leaves a okay. review entitled, I'll Have What They're Having. Oh, <laughs> I love it already. I love it already. Okay. Brick-a-brack, Firecracker, Sis Boomba, Rompod, Rompod, <laughs> Ra, Ra, Ra. Oh, my God. <laughs> Todd, Mikey, and Paige break down some of the most beloved or most loathed romantic comedies with lots of humor, insight, and fun facts. Can't wait to hear more. A must listen no matter what side of the debate you're on. I love it. That is an amazing review. Thank you very much, Beetle Dot. You're amazing. We'll see you guys next week in our room of pain. 
We're the podcast that you love in the streets and in the sheets. Join Ooh. us next week for Fifty Shades of Grey, y'all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bye. Oh. Bye. You complete me. To completion. <laughs> <laughs> You've perverted this podcast in seven weeks. Yes. I, I yes, love it. Yes. La, 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 la,